let's get into our message tonight. We're continuing our series, the Biblical Counseling Series. You can counsel. Tonight's specific title of the message is uh, Progressive Sanctification. Now, what does that word or phrase mean, progressive sanctification? Let's start with the word progressive. Does it mean newfangled? Is that what it means? No, it means making progress. And what's sanctification? Yeah, cleansing or growing in holiness, all right? So making progress in your walk with the Lord. Is that an easier way to, to understand it other than the title progressive sanctification? All right. So the five characteristics present in the growth process. So five things. So we're going to be all over the place in our Bibles tonight, but uh, we're going to do this. We're going to build on this, so I'll show you one. The second slide will show you two, which will build on the previous one and introduce the second one. The third slide will show you one, two, and then three, and so forth. So how many of these do we have to work through tonight? Five. All right. So at some point, you're going to say, man, I hope you get through all five really quick. Or at point three, you're going to say, when is this going to be over? All right. That's the danger in telling you how many points that there are, because then you begin to count them. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, the big idea for the whole series is to teach our congregation that each believer is a qualified biblical counselor. Let me say that again. Each believer is a biblical, biblically qualified biblical counselor. So if you're a born-again believer, walking with the Lord, filled with the Spirit, Use the scriptures, you can counsel. Many years ago, Jay Adams wrote a book called Competent to Counsel. So I know that you can pick that up online, and I would encourage you to, to do so. You can probably find it on uh, Amazon or eBay or Abe Books or something like that. But pick up a copy of that book. All right, first of all tonight, the first characteristic that is active in the growth process is that the triune God is active. So let's go over to the Gospel of John chapter 15. Is that the heat or is that rain? That's rain. Okay, well, so I know the sup pump is behind by now. All right. Uh, John chapter 15. Yeah, we might. So the high dive is just going to be the sidewalk. Step off the edge and you're going to go in over your head. All right, so in John chapter 15, this is the great passage on abiding in Christ. Uh, but notice that God is doing a work in our lives. All right, so verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, he's the husband, he's keeping care of the vine. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, what? He taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, what's he doing? He's purging it, that it may bring forth more fruit. All right, so I've been keeping my eye on the grapevine in my backyard. And so maybe my white elephant gift is going into my little pantry 
And I probably have 20 little pints of grape jelly that I made that I will never be able to eat this winter. Probably package some of that up and bring it and give it away uh, as my white elephant gift. So if you come in and you really want that, just mark the gift that I'm carrying. That's probably what I'm going to do. But um, sometimes I also, you know, jam up some, some uh, plums and make plum jam and so forth. But I've been watching that grapevine, watching the leaves turn yellow and fall off because when that vine goes dormant, I'm going to go at it with a pair of snippers. And I'm going to prune it back to about two buds on each branch. And what happens then come springtime is it shoots off and produces all kinds of clusters of grapes. And so I probably had 25 or 30 clusters of grapes on that vine this last summer. And it was just, for me, it's fun watching it grow and develop. And then when someone is not careful and they're trying to prune off the excessive growth and gets a little too aggressive, I weep when I take off an accidental cluster, you know. I want another whole pint. (laughs) But here, God is watching our lives intently. And he's like, look, I want to prune them so that they can bring forth more fruit in their life. Fruit which brings glory to God. So God is at work in our life. And when we look at that, you're going to say, wow, you really cut your grapevine back. That's aggressive. Well, God may be pruning our lives, and we may think, God, isn't that a little harsh? Isn't that a little aggressive? But what God is intending to do is to bring forth fruit, which will bring him glory out of our lives. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5 now. Now, the first point is the triune God. So if we mention the Father, who do you think we're going to mention next? The Son, all right? So Ephesians Uh, chapter 5, verse 26. What is Christ doing? Well, in Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, this is a particular chapter on the marriage relationship. How the wife respects the husband, how the husband loves the wife, how the husband helps the wife to grow, and his pattern for marriage ministry is Jesus Christ and his church. And what he does is he takes the word of God and he cleanses us with the Bible. I mentioned this morning, that's why you need preaching. And so, hey, I'm glad you're here tonight for for more preaching. And so we need to read the Bible, we need to memorize the Bible, we need to hear the Bible preached, we need to study the Bible, we need the Word of God to cleanse us. I have in my library a self-counseling manual, it's called the Self-Confrontation Manual, written written by uh, Ted Broger. And so that's another thing I think you should probably pick up and purchase for yourself and, and go through it. And I I know I've asked you this question before, but who's the person that you talk to the most? It's yourself. And yes, I have actually answered myself. All right? uh, But what I'm doing as a Christian 
is I'm letting the word of God cleanse my mind, challenge my affections, challenge my thinking, challenge my motives, and conform me to what Christ wants for my life, to bring me into the image of Christ. So Christ is using the word of God. So the Father is purging, the Son is washing. So what is the Father doing? Purging, and the Son is washing. All right, now, if the triune God is active, who's the next person of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. All right, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by whom? The Spirit of the Lord. All right. Now, I'm at that point in my life where in the morning, I usually don't now spend a lot of time in front of the mirror. All right? Because there's not much hair to worry about anymore. Like once a month, I just take a number two and I'm done. All right? I do eyebrows, beard, and hair all at the same time. Just once a month. And I'm done with it, right? And so I don't have bedhead anymore. So I don't spend much time in front of the mirror. I do check my teeth to make sure I don't have breakfast in them before I leave. All right? But that's about all I do. But, you know, as human beings, we spend a lot of time looking in the mirror, and we have this concept of what self should look like. And so if what we see in the mirror doesn't measure up to that concept of self, then we're trying to change it into what we think it should be. Well, that's what the Word of God should be for our souls. We should look into the Word of God with an unveiled face. Just we're, we're open to the exposure of God. And let God show us the image that He sees. And then look at the image of who Christ is and try to measure up and match the image of Jesus Christ in our life. And so the Spirit of God is maturing the believer. Or you could say He's changing us into the same image from glory to glory. Hey, it's a glory to be saved. And it's a glory to grow as a Christian. Can I tell you what I know now from what I knew 20 years ago? There's a big difference. And God is working his glory into my life. And I know that my relationship is deeper with the Lord. So the Father is purging. The Son is washing. The Spirit is changing or maturing us. So, systems of counseling that neglect the work of the triune God in the way that they present their material are man-made. And there's no glory for God in them. That's only why biblical counseling is sufficient. So we will become, if we are doing this just in our own religious system, I guess you'd say we become pharisaical, right? We're just trying to measure up to man-made rules that we set for ourselves instead of being changed by the glory of God. All right, so here comes point number two. 
So triune God is active, and then what's the next one? All right, so here's the question. What is God's part in Christian growth, and what is your part in Christian growth? Is that an easy thing to answer? All right, so let's take a look at that. Uh, Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 13. All right, let's read this verse. For if ye, or you, live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye, or you, through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye, or you, shall live. Who's the subject there? You, all right? The individual believer. So we have some responsibility in the growth process. Now, God is actively at work, but the subject of the verb here is you, all right? You have to mortify the flesh. You cannot live after the flesh, all right? Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us do what? Cleanse ourselves. That's our responsibility. From all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear or the respect of God. So we do have some responsibility. Let us Cleanse ourselves. All right, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul is telling Timothy what a good pastor does. So in verse 6, he says, If thou, if you're a good pastor... Put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of what? Faith. So a good pastor preaches the Bible. Okay. Uh, Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. So a good pastor teaches doctrine. All right. Upon which thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables and then do what? Exercise thyself unto godliness. So it should be a spiritual exercise in your life to interact with the Word of God. Now, my spiritual exercise is this. Um, If my phone is on my nightstand, which usually I have it on the charging cord out in the kitchen, but some mornings uh, I wake up um, and it's by my nightstand, uh, I'll open it up, turn off the alarm, and then open up um, my Bible reading app. Uh, Bible.is, and I will listen to a chapter of the Bible, and if I don't do that, and I get up and I get going with my morning routine, and I will make my breakfast and have my tea, and uh, I'll sit down in the chair that's in the kitchen, yes, I have a chair in my kitchen, a nice big red fluffy chair, all right, and Google is right there next to me, and I'll say, hey Google, open version Bible to 
book of the Bible, chapter number, and have it read it to me. And I'll meditate in the Word of God. And so that is a spiritual exercise. But you know, that's not all I do. Alright? So then, you study the Word of God, you memorize the Word of God, uh, and so forth, but exercise yourself. That's your responsibility. So no one else can exercise for you. Believe me, I think we're all beginning to encounter that as we pack on the Christmas calories. Alright? And... Um, so we're going to have to be responsible for ourselves here. But exercise yourself. All right, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. I probably could have laid these out a little bit better so you don't have to keep flipping back and forth between the New Testament. But hey, just think of it this way. You get an opportunity to grow because then you'll find out where the books of the Bible are, right? All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you do what? Walk worthy of the vocation to which you are called. Walk. Oversimplification, but the word means to take repeated steps. So you are responsible to take repeated steps in your relationship with the Lord. The Lord is not going to make you an automated robot. You actually have to do that. Let's go down to verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Isn't that a challenge? God is not just after your behavior. He's after the affections of your thinking. It's because what you think about is actually what you do. All right? So God says, walk. So man must be active. Uh, the subject of uh, Romans 8.13 is you must put to death the flesh. Uh, let us cleanse ourselves, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Exercise yourself unto godliness. Walk in the spirit of God. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 now. And look at verses 22 through 24. And I've asked you to do this before, so if you haven't already done this, please do it tonight. Put a bracket around verses 22 through 24. This is the best synopsis of the Christian growth process that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. All right? It's very simple. So verses 22 through 24, it's one unit of thought that tells us how to change, how to grow that you put off concerning the former of manner of life, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So, put off. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So, you renew your mind. Verse 24, and that you put on the new man which is created after God uh, in righteousness and true holiness. So, put something off, think differently, put on what God wants you to think about, okay? Now, very important that we do the process there. Yeah, we know we need to stop something, and we know we need to replace it. Before you actually go to replace it, think God's thoughts. What does he want you to replace it with? 
think about that. Let the Word of God control your thinking. Then you'll find out what you replace it with, and then you put that on. All right? So, yes, you stop the old. You think a new way. God gets a hold of your heart, gets a hold of your affections, and then you change your behaviors. You put on the new. All right, let's keep going. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. I'm just going to start reading quickly. You're going to have to listen quickly. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, unto which thou art called and hast professed the good profession before many witnesses. Don't play with sin. Flee from sin. Run from it. And then chase down something else. Okay? Chase down righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, and keep on fighting. Don't quit fighting. 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, love, peace with them, that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So flee the lust. Don't flirt with them. Flee from them. Run away from them. All right, and the last verse on this one, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Know ye not that they who run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so that ye may obtain and every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached unto others, I myself should be a castaway. Great effort is exerted to bring self into subjection. Subdue yourself. Confront yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. Systems that deny that man must be actively in cooperation with the Spirit of God lead to glory, uh, and I'm sorry, lead to pride, not glory. And they actually glorify uh, self-introspection and deceit. That's dwelt upon. So, the Godhead is active. Man must be active. And then our third point here tonight, let's all say them together here, all right? The triune God is active. Man must be active. And then the Word must be active. And so let's fly through these really quick, all right? But the Word of God must be active upon us in the following ways. Number one, our mind. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Verse 11, Romans 6, 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the word reckon is a financial banking term, which means that you're withdrawing from God's resources. But it really means this. Count it as a fact. 
you are dead to God, I'm sorry, dead to sin, but alive unto God. You are dead to sin, you are alive unto God. That is something that you should live by faith. You reckon it. That means you count on it. You bank on it. All right? You do not have to commit a sin. So no Christian is predetermined to commit a sin. Right? Because you can have God's resources to come over overcome that sin. So reckon it to be so. Consider it. Think like a saved person. Um, let's go over to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The word of God is working upon uh, the renewing of the mind. Okay? Look at verse 2 specifically. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... All right. So look here. And you can actually repeat it with me. The battle is between these two things right here. All right? Everybody pull on your ears, point to your temples. All right? That's where the battle is. God wants you to think differently. Now remember, not just remodeling, but a complete makeover. All right? Instead of just adding some new paint to dirt, which I mentioned a few weeks ago, I learned a term from a Marine. He called it POD, paint over dirt. All right? So we're not just painting over dirt in our Christian life. No, we're stripping it down to the studs and we're, you know, redoing everything. All right, so we are renewing our minds, all right, um, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, and then the verse that we've already mentioned, Ephesians 4.23. 4.22 said put off, 4.24 says put on, but what does 4.23 say? Be renewed. Be renewed in your mind. All right, now not only must the word of God be active on our mind, the word of God must be active on our actions or our habits. All right, let's go back to chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Look with me at verse 12. All right, we read 11. Now let's read 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. So sin doesn't have to rule over you. Neither yield, all right? Now, some of your newer translation, how many of it has the word present? Anybody have that in their translation tonight? All right, I see a couple hands. Present your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto God, but yield or present yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So, remember, this is not the old nature that you're presenting to God here. Because that's dead. That's been crucified. You're presenting your new man to God. You're yielding your new nature to God as being alive 
That's your renewed nature. So you yield yourself, your new self, to Him. And so you present yourself. So imagine that you have an appointment before a dignitary. You have to present yourself to them. Well, God is your dignitary, and you're responsible to present yourself to him. All right, uh, we already have looked at 1 Timothy 4, 7. Uh, exercise. Now, I used to run half marathons and 5 and 10Ks. I've not done that since I've been in Hollister, all right? I've had a gallbladder attack. I've had atrial flutter. I've had a stroke. Uh, probably need to exercise some more, don't you think? All right, physically. So, yeah, for all of us, spiritually speaking, we all have that sin nature of death. So, in the addiction recovery program that I shared with you that we ran before, the story was told of a man who uh, would breed dogs to fight. Now, I know that's illegal, all right? But uh, it was illegal betting, and uh, he would uh, stack the, the fight, and uh, he knew which dog would win each night, and he would make a lot of money off of people. So finally, somebody came to him and said, well, how do you know which dog is going to win? He said, well, it's simple. The dog that I want to win, I feed that week. The dog that I want to lose, I starve them. All right? Now, that's cruel, but you know what? That works true for our human nature. What nature do you want to win? Well, the one that wins is the one that you feed. So if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit. So, exercising, presenting, all right? And then the responsibility of your actions or your habits in life that are wrong is that put-off, put-on relationship. All right, so maybe if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and you've bracketed verses 23 through 24, you can circle put-off and you can circle put-on and then you connect the off and the on with another little line and then off to the side put a little note called the replacement principle. Remember a few weeks ago I shared with you, you cannot just defeat a bad habit. You must replace a bad habit. You cannot just put off a sin. You have to replace the sin with what God says is created in true righteousness and true holiness. So, the word of God must be on our actions or our habits. If habits are changed and the mind is not, then the result is only Phariseeism. That's why I shared this morning. The incarceration system in the United States has an extremely high rate of recidivism. People go back into prison that were there because their body was restrained from doing wrong, but they were never taught to be a different person. And so they get out and they just go crazy because they've been denied for so long that they've never changed their mind. So this is an example of us as a believer, all right? So we must not only change our habits, but we must change our minds as well. So 
if you're the kind of Christian or you're counseling a Christian who wants to just stop something, okay, it's not bad to stop something. But just because you're not doing that anymore does not mean that you've achieved what God wants you to achieve. You must replace it. So the example in Ephesians 4, verse 28, is let him who stole steal no more. Stop being a thief. All right? But then it says this, but rather let him labor that he may have to, to give to him that has a need. See the problem with the thief? They're so self-absorbed. It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's what I want, what I want, what I want, what I want. Okay? But when a thief is reformed is when they get a job so that their eyes can think and see, hey, there's someone else with a need. Let me give to that need. Let me think about other people. And so really the idol of the heart behind a thief is not his thievery. It's his selfishness and being self-consumed. And so when God gets a hold of his behavior, yeah, he stops being a thief, but he thinks, hey, I've got to meet some needs in this world. I've got to do some good. I've got to help out. And so then he goes to work in meeting needs. So there are many systems that ignore the word of God's part. Okay? Now, the church must be active here. All right? So let's say this together. The triune God is active. Man must be active. The word must be active. The church must be active. All right, so let's go over to the book of Matthew. All right, so in Matthew, um, we're, we're taught about church discipline, all right? So when we think of church discipline, we're, we're not talking about Punitive action. So this is Matthew 18, verse 15 and following. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast what? Gained thy brother. What's the purpose behind confrontation? It's a restored relationship. Okay, you've got them back there where they need to be. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verify facts. And so, if one-on-one, -on -one, if one-on-one -on -one works, your lips are sealed and no one else knows. But if one-on-one -on -one does not work, then you verify facts with at least one other person or two other people, so there's now two or three involved, and the two or three of you go, and you talk with that other believer, and you establish facts, not opinion, not preferences, but scriptural facts. Is scripture being violated? Is there sin from the scripture in someone's life? That has to be investigated. Now, here's what happens. Um, and if he shall neglect to hear them, verse 17, what's the next phrase? 
sell it to the church. Why would why on earth would you make something known to the congregation, to the membership? Because you want to hurt them? Because you want to punish them? You want to embarrass them? Is that what Scripture is doing here? Okay. Well, no. Um, so he's to hear the church. All right. So step number one, one-on-one. Step number two, two or three on one. Step number three, tell it to the church. And if he listens to the church, it's done. You've got the restoration that's taken place. You've accomplished God's goal and purpose in it. Okay? So you are counseling this individual believer to be in a right relationship with God. That's why you're going after this. Okay? The fourth step. All right? How many of you have always heard there are three steps to church discipline? Okay? There's actually four. Okay? So you tell it to the church, but if he neglect to hear the church at the end of verse 17, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a tax collector. So, you tell it to the church and you give the opportunity for that individual to secure the fruits of repentance. Are you with me? So they're making changes. They're, they're making progress. They're growing. But if they're not going to do that, well then, you put them out of the church. And the verse 18 says, Verily I say unto you, whatever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the church has spiritual authority to put someone in the bondage of their own sin, to deliver them over to the consequences of sin, or the church has the liberty to set people free when there's the fruit of repentance. They're no longer under the discipline of the church. They're set free. Now, this is the whole issue. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is telling the Corinthian church to do what we just read in Matthew. Okay? So we mentioned it this morning. It is commonly reported, this is verse 1, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So even the unsaved don't sin this bad. Hey, listen, have you heard on the news about some Christian who sinned really bad, maybe even worse than what people in society do? Yeah? Okay? Verse 2, and you are puffed up. They were proud about that. Remember how I shared that with you this morning? And rather have not mourned that he that hath done this deed might be what? Taken away from among you. Verse 3, for I verily absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay? Now, if the church removes somebody from church membership, does that mean that they're not truly saved? No. 
That just means that the church, in its practical application, deals with that person as if they're unsaved because they're not yielding to the Spirit of God. Well, what happens if someone continues to live in sin and will not repent? Well, if they're a genuine believer, God tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 what's going to happen. God may destroy their flesh. He may take them home to be with him. And then on judgment day, their soul of their spirit is going to be saved. All right? So they, they're a believer. But for practical purposes, because they're not listening to God, God will judge them. But the whole point here is this, trying to get that person to come back into a right relationship with God. Now, the end of this story is found in 2 Corinthians. The young man repented. Hey, does that encourage you? Okay, but you know how the church treated him? We don't believe you. We don't trust you. Do more. And so they were making him have sorrow beyond measure. And Paul told the Corinthian church, well, now you've gone a little too far. You need to forgive this one so that he doesn't walk around and have a, a spirit of heaviness. Hey, listen, you know what I've had believers tell me before? I don't want to come back to church because people are going to judge me. Okay? You know why they think that? It's because we don't live by faith. And we don't communicate to them that we love them. If someone's under church discipline, it behooves you as an individual. You go see them in person. You pick up the phone. You talk to them and affirm your love to them. Love is the Velcro that keeps somebody connected to a local church. It's that loving relationship that will pull them back to Christ. You will entice them back into their walk with Jesus through your love. Now, if they're not going to repent, then practically speaking, you have to separate. You have to distance yourself from them because otherwise, a little bit of sin will ruin the whole church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. But the whole point here, going back to Matthew chapter 18, is the church must be involved. It starts out one-on-one. -on -one. You can counsel. Two or three on one. The group of you can counsel. The whole church can counsel. The, the person, the believer, can be restored. And so the church must be active. All right? And so we must be making disciples. Now, um, here's a couple of other things really quick. All right? Uh, time is active. So let's say all five of them together. The triune God is active. Man must be active. The word must be active. The church must be active. But time is active. All right, let's go over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Corporation. Okay. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, Not as though... I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that if I may apprehend for that which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God 
in Christ Jesus. He's pursuing, he's reaching forth, he's stretching out, he's exerting himself to keep on going. So, has Paul arrived? No. Has any Christian ever reached that state where they have arrived at perfection? Okay? So, this is really important because in Wesleyan theology, there's a thing called sinless perfectionism, where a Christian reaches a, a point of maturity where they never sin anymore. I'm going to take a safe bet and say the Apostle Paul would disagree with that based upon what the Holy Spirit told him right in the verses that we just read. So, I have a safe bet that you can look at Pastor up here tonight and know he's not arrived. He still sins. He still has things that he's dealing with. And I can look out at your smiling faces tonight and take a pretty good educated guess that you have not arrived either. Okay? What grace we need to show to one another. Alright? We're just Sinners stumbling forward, growing in grace. It takes time to grow. But now, let's not make that an excuse. Okay? Because the children of Israel also took a lot of time. They took 40 years in the wilderness, did they not, when it only took 11 days to get to the promised land? You remember seeing that old cartoon of Moses leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, and he's got a a smartphone in his hand, and he's clicking on it, and he's like, this can't be right. I know it's only 11 days to, to the promised land. He says, but it says 40 years, all right? And so let's not do like the children of Israel and just keep going around and around and around and around. So two things. Number one, don't get discouraged. It does take time to grow in Christ. Keep exerting, keep going, keep stretching out, press towards that. But number two, don't allow time to be your excuse, okay? Well, you know, God's just working on me. Yeah, it's been five years with the same thing, all right? No, don't let that be an excuse. All right, so it is a gradual process. Taking a walk takes some time. So these five things are characteristics that are uh, part of the growth process. The triune God is at work. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. The Father is working, the Son is working, the Spirit is working. Man must be active. You must walk, you must present yourself unto God. You must exercise yourself. You must put to death the deeds of the body. Okay? The Word of God must be active upon your mind and upon your actions. The church must be active. We have to be involved in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Galatians 6.1 You that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. But bear one another's burdens. Alright? And then time is active. Now, stop and think about this for a moment. I think at this point, it's safe to assume that Paul had been a Christian for 30 plus years. All right? So within the first two to three years after being a convert, 
Pharisee was chased all over the Arabian Peninsula in Israel. He said, enough's enough. He went up to Tarsus and spent 10 years there. Then he spent 13 years in the wilderness by himself. And then he spent many years on missionary travel. So here's a Christian that's been saved for 30 years saying, I haven't arrived, but I press on. So yes, progressive sanctification takes time. You know, the good thing is that God has been gracious to you and allowed you through years of life to make some changes. So when you're counseling people, remember it takes time for God to work in their life. I know I've shared the story, but I just, it, it just brings a lot of joy to me to, to disciple people and see God work in their lives through the process of time. Um, so this Filipino man gets saved, and I'm discipling him, and then I'm telling him, hey, you need to get baptized. Okay, pastor, let me think about it. And I'm just that aggressive pastor, disciple maker, and I'm coming back to him in two weeks, hey, you know, brother, you need to get baptized right now. Okay, pastor, I'm thinking about it. Just let God work in my life. Hey, a couple weeks later, man, have you thought about that? Have you made your decision? And you need to get baptized. And he actually cussed me out. Okay? And then a few weeks later, he comes into church, and he is as white as a ghost underneath the sheet. And he says to me at the door on the way in, Pastor, I need to get baptized. I'm like, okay, well, last time you cussed me out, and today you're telling me you want to get baptized. What's going on? Well, it was the working and timing of God in his life. His teenage son had gone to the wrong side of town to a party and got all kinds of people mad at him. And there was fisticuffs, so he got in his car and he ran home. He opened up the garage door and he was in the garage and he was trying to get into the house and he heard all this racket and he's going out there and he's trained in martial arts and here's the kid fighting in the garage with these other kids. And so he doesn't know what's going on. He just knows that's his son. So he stops, you know, and picks up a chair and he's fighting and he's trying to fend off everybody and he's trying to get the door to his house closed and calling the police and all that adrenaline and everything and he gets it all secured and God said to him, don't you think it's about time you yield to me and get baptized? And that's why the next morning he comes to church. Pastor, I need to get baptized. I'm willing to do it now. Well, it took some time. He quit making excuses, and he listened to God. But you know what? I think we can all think of some example where God's working in our life. He uses something to, to rattle us a little bit. And we begin to think right away, oh, you know what? I need to make that change. 